we get to be part of something bigger and greater than ourselves. And that's part of Be the Church. So as we delve into the series and we look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, this morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, and you can also find the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 16. And we're going to be looking at both passages today. This church is called the Church of the Thessalonians. It's in a place in modern-day Greece, and these are real people living in the first century. It was a Roman province, a Roman city, and these people were going through their normal routine of life, just like they've done for generations before, and then along comes three men. A man named Paul, another man named Silvanius, or Silas as we know him in other passages, and another man named Timothy. And they share the good news of the gospel. And these people hear the good news. Their lives are transformed by the message of the gospel. And as a result of that, a church is formed. Now, this church was not a well-established, long-term church where they had generations of Christians. Every single one of them was brand new. You know, the Apostle Paul was only there for three weeks. And he shared the gospel. People came to know Christ as the Savior. And a church was started in only three weeks. Now, to be honest with you, could you imagine how and that would be? Like You go away on a holiday and you come back and your whole community is different. You go, what happened? People's lives are now changed. A church has been established. And they suffered through persecution. But let's begin reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. I'm going to read the first five verses of that passage. And as we read this, I want you to recognize this. This church was a young and infant church, but it was also a church that was known as a model church. It was a church that was doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. And Paul was very proud of them and for them. Let's begin reading in verse number one. It says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. In God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope and in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And he starts off with this, this letter to this church in Thessalonica. And he says to them, I want you to know that I pray for you all the time. Another way of saying that is, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of what God's doing in your hearts and in your lives. And see, this church wasn't Paul's idea. Sometimes we have really, really good ideas that align with God instantly. And we don't even know the difference between our idea and God's idea. And there's other times when we are going a certain direction and we've told God, God, I'm going to go this way. Come along with me. And God says, no, 
I want you to go my way and do what I've called you to do. And that's exactly what we find here. This was not Paul's idea. He had other plans. And God specifically called him to this area, started a revival in this community. A church was established. And from that, the gospel was going out into their community. Their world was being turned upside down. Our principle for today, and every Sunday we have a principle that we want to apply to our life. It is this. God is calling me to be the church. There's a key word there. The word is calling. I want you to think about this for yourself. And this is a foundation for today to give you some application from the beginning. And then we'll refer to this again in the end. This is the application. God is calling. Will you answer? Now, I put a retro phone on the screen for you because it's not quite as satisfying to pick up a, an iPhone and go click. So it's much more satisfying to pick up the phone. God is calling. Will you answer? God is calling each and every one of us to be the person that he has created you to be. He's created you to do that in community together called a church. And the joy of that is it's God's idea. We don't have to come up with all the ideas. Thank God. I'm glad that I don't have to be smart enough or strong enough or know the future. Thank God that we simply have to follow him. So God is calling. Will you answer? Now we have a modern thing, and every, probably every single one of you are carrying a phone right now. You have this wonderful thing called caller ID. And it allows you the ability to go, I don't want to talk to him right now. And have you done that? Have you screened your calls? Have you gone, no, thank you. Ignore. And you have this wonderful thing called caller ID. Well, in a very similar way, as Christians, we also have the ability to go, no, God. I'm not going to answer the call. I'm going to ignore your call. Now, it's one thing if you ignore my call. I might get my feelings hurt a little bit, but it's okay. We, we can move on. The other side of that is, imagine trying to ignore God's call. What is God calling you to do? Has he ever called you to do something that wasn't for your benefit and for his glory? Has he ever tried to call you to do something that has actually caught you? God didn't mean to do that. It was a big mistake on God's part. Never. So therefore, as we look into God's calling and God is calling us, will you answer? We look back upon this last year and we begin to reflect. How have you grown over the last year? How are you different as a result of knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior? Some of you, this is your first year as a believer in Jesus Christ. Some of you have grown and you were baptized this year. You're growing in your faith. Some of you, you have done incredible growth where you are, are reading your Bible and you're discovering things that you never knew before. You're praying or you're giving or you're serving in certain areas. You have now a what we call a burden for your community. Your neighbor that used to annoy you is now someone that you're praying for that they'll come to know Christ as their Savior. And they, they still kind of annoy you, but you're still praying that God will save them from their sins. We have this area in what's modern-day Greece. 
Just give you a little bit of background. The Apostle Paul had three different what they call missionary journeys. If you have a Bible, as in a, a paper Bible, in the back of your Bible, you might have some maps. And sometimes those maps will show the missionary journey of Paul. The second missionary journey of Paul went through and he started in, in Antioch and he, and he went across and went, and went over through what's modern day Turkey. And while he was in modern day Turkey, he had a calling, which we'll talk about in a few moments time. And the writing of this book is recorded and the time frame is recorded in the book of Acts chapter 17 and 18 is what, what took place during this time when he was writing this, this letter to the, the church in Thessalonica. And it was most likely one of the very first books of the Bible, as in the New Testament, that were written. It was written somewhere between 49 and 51 A.D., so the church of Jesus Christ is relatively very young at this time. And the Apostle Paul is on a missionary journey going from city to city, preaching the gospel, leading people to Christ, discipling them and training them. And he has a group of, of men that are with him. And as the time goes on, he gets men and their women together and they are discipling and, and, and helping the church to grow and expand. And some people are staying behind while they move forward and they're constantly moving. And then later on, he goes back and writes letters to some of these churches. Not all of them, but he writes letters to some of these churches. And that's how we have what are known as the epistles or the books in the New Testament, like First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, are these letters that are written back to these churches. And as he's writing back to them, sometimes he's writing to, to challenge them because they've gone off in a way that they're not supposed to go. Other times, he's teaching them things that he says, you know what, you need to know this about the gospel. You need to know this about God. And we have wonderful, deep theology through these letters. And these letters are how we as a local church discover how we're supposed to act. What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to look like? And nowhere in any of the epistles does it say that we're supposed to sit and stand or have handshaking times. And nowhere does it say to have coffee and tea at the end of the service, but they did fellowship together. And there's certain things that we find that are critical to a local church. Well, the Apostle Paul, first of all, had a call to go. He was called to go. He had a plan of what he was going to do. As he was traveling on this missionary journey, he was in what's modern-day Turkey, and he had been there previously and had some great success. And through that success, he had it in his mind where he was going to go. He had gone to the southern part, and now he wanted to go to the northern area. And he wanted to go to an area called Bithynia, which is on the north side of modern-day Turkey. And there'll be a picture on the screen of, of a map, and that's the area that he wanted to go. Instead, God called him to go somewhere that he had never been. And you can imagine, the Apostle Paul is a very godly, spiritual man. And God said, no, you're not going to go that way. I want you to go a different way. Now, I don't know about you, but I know children don't like to be told no. I don't think we do either. I have some really good ideas that God needs to get on board with, right? And God needs to follow my plans. And God has some better plans. And God says, don't go north. I want you to go to the west. 
and go to Macedonia. And we find that in Acts chapter number 16. In Acts 16 verses 9 and 10, and the Apostle Paul had a plan, and then the plan changed, and it says, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. So God had to really specifically tell him, Paul, don't do this. It would be nice if God gave us visions to do everything, but he doesn't. We have the still small voice of the Holy Spirit guiding and directing us. But it would be nice if we had something specific like, hey, don't do that. And he says, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. He had plans to go, but God changed those plans. And I like the fact that he responded immediately he says that they immediately they sought to go when jesus calls like in matthew chapter number four verse 19 when jesus was calling his disciples he's walking along the shore of the sea of galilee and he sees some fishermen on the shore cleaning their nets and he says to them follow me and i will make you fishers of men those men that were cleaning their nets didn't sit there and go, you know what, it's really inconvenient. Or, you know what, I'm kind of tired right now. They didn't do that. They immediately got up and they followed Jesus. And their lives were transformed by the gospel. When we, we have the promises in the, in the Bible, and there's a number of passages that talk about when we follow God, how he protects us. In Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24, that passage says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord. God has a plan for your life. That's what it says there. Now, as you look forward to 2024, none of us know what the future is going to hold. No one knows what tomorrow is going to be. I hope and pray for safety and protection, but we have no idea. 2023 may have been the best year of your life or may have been the worst year of your life. And we have no idea what the future holds. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the steps of a man are established by the Lord. God has a plan. He has a purpose. When he delights in his way, and here's a promise for you, when you delight in the things of God, when you follow God and his plan for your life, though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. Now, that's an old way of saying falling flat on your face. For the Lord upholds his hand. Thank God for those promises. Thank God that we have the promise that when we are following, while we are following the Lord, we will not be smashing our face against the ground. He's going to be holding us up along the way. Paul immediately responded to the call of God. He had to change his plans. There's some humility in that. You imagine the Apostle Paul getting up and waking up in the, in the next morning and telling the other men after he had made plans, they had probably planned out their journey of where they're going to go, and he has to stand in front of these other men and go, do you know what, men? I believe God's calling us to go a different way. Now, it's one thing if you're the one that got the vision, Imagine the faith of the other men that went with him, of Silas and Timothy. They didn't get the vision. They were simply following God 
as their leader, Paul, was following God. They didn't know what the future was whole, but they had faith. First of all, we see a call to go, to come over. You as an individual, you have a call of God in your life to be part of a local church, to, to reach our community with the gospel of Christ. We also see, secondly, there's a call to Christ. That requires change. So the Apostle Paul and, and, the, and the men leave modern-day Turkey, and it was known as Asia in the, in the book of Acts, and they go over to Macedonia, and they go somewhere they've never been before, and they start off in the city of Philippi, and there's great persecution, and they end up in prison. Now you imagine, you're sitting there in prison, Silas, and you're standing there going, Paul, you said this is where God wanted us to be. You said this is what God's plan was, and now we're in prison. The book of Acts records that in chapter number 16. And then they are miraculously released from prison, and a revival takes place in that city, and we have a church established in that city of, of Philippi. And then they move down the road just a little ways to the next city along, and they come to the city of Thessalonica. And they begin to teach and preach there. And it says in, in Acts chapter 17, verses 2 through 4, And when Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, that's the Sabbath day is the Saturday, so for three weeks he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and, prov and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. He was preaching a gospel that they had never heard before. And some of them were per persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. They begin to share the gospel. I'm going to quickly go through this part. First of all, he did over th the course of three weeks. Have you ever told someone something one time and they didn't believe you? Well, imagine the Apostle Paul the very first time he goes into the synagogue. The synagogue was the Jewish area. And in this area, and history tells us there was actually a large Jewish population that had fled away from Jerusalem. And they had gone across the known world into the Roman, the Roman Empire. And they had gone to all these various cities and they established synagogues or their, their places of worship in all these towns. And the Apostle Paul, because he was a Jew himself, went into these synagogues and began to start with the Jewish people and sharing the gospel with them. And he, imagine the first week, every single person is going, this guy's crazy. This is not the way we've always done it. This isn't the tradition. So first of all, he was consistent. It took him well, only three weeks, which is pretty good. <laughs> like, I would love to have come to dial up. You know, in 2012, when my family moved here, we didn't know anyone. I would have loved to have moved here and after three weeks had a church established. That would have been wonderful. It took slightly longer than that. And here what we have is they were consistent. He went as his custom on three Sabbath days. So he went and went week after week after week. And after the third week, then some persecution came. Have you ever prayed for someone to be saved? Have you ever prayed for someone that needs to know Christ as their Savior? And you're finding yourself praying for them week after week after week. The revival didn't actually start the first week. It would be nice. 
I'm such a great orator and I, I have great arguments that I can convince someone of a brand new truth they've never heard before the first time they hear it. And human nature goes, we need some time to process. We need some time to, to, to think about these things. I shared earlier the story of the man who came to know Christ as the Savior on Friday. Uh, this is another interesting story. Yesterday morning, I was at the church office preparing for the, today's service, and I received, again, a seemingly random phone call from a man I didn't know that asked me, are you open today? And I thought, are you after a church service? Like, what are you looking for? He goes, I just need to talk to someone. So I invited him to come over to our church office, and we had coffee together. And over the course of about two and a half hours, we talked about his life and his need for Christ, the fact that he's a sinner and he needs a Savior. And I shared the gospel again with him. And at the end of the time, I said, what is God telling you to do? And he goes, I don't know yet. So we have an appointment for Wednesday. And he's going to hear the gospel again. And my hope is that the second time he hears it, that he'll come to know Christ as his Savior. But human nature is, I need a moment. I need to think about it. They were consistent. Secondly, we have, it was scriptural. Notice the Apostle Paul, because he was an incredibly intelligent man. He knew a lot of things. He could have just said, let me try to convince you from my own intellect. And I've discovered, and maybe you have too, as smart as you are and as clever as you are, you have never led someone to Christ in your own strength and your own power. It is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we do that. And so therefore, we go back to the Bible. And he says there in that passage, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He went back to what they knew and said, let me show you in, in the way of modern way of saying it, let me show you out of the Bible how you can come to know Christ as your Savior. The foundational question we have is, what does the Bible say? And I've discovered, and maybe you have too, that when we give God, and here's my analogy, we give God ammunition. That's called reading your Bible. And maybe you're reading your Bible and you're going, you know what, I don't know how I'm going to use this. And you're reading your Bible and you're reading through a passage. And as you read through, you go, you know what, I really don't fully understand that. And I encourage you, delve into it more. But something I've discovered is we're giving God ammunition. We're giving the Holy Spirit ammunition. So therefore, there's something that he can draw from in the future. Because if your bucket is empty, there's nothing for you to draw from. So therefore, when we fill it with reading our Bible, you've come to church today. I hope that you get something out of today's message that you can apply to your life and add to your, to use that analogy, the ammunition. Because a number of times, I did this yesterday, and I did it the day before, and I do it often. I say, as I'm sitting in front of someone, and they're sharing their heart, I'm sitting there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and I'm acting like I'm paying attention to them, and inside I'm going, God, I have no idea what I'm going to say. God, if you don't give me the words to say, I have no idea what I'm going to say to this person. Give me words of wisdom, please. And it's, it's honestly, it's a short, concise prayer of desperation. God, give me the Bible. And it's amazing. Every single time God brings a verse to my mind, I go, where did that come from? Because it was put there earlier. And God brings a verse to your mind, the exact right verse at the exact right time. And you may find yourself, you know what, that doesn't happen to you. Well, let's start putting some ammunition. 
Tomorrow is the first day of the year. You're going to have a New Year's resolution. Why don't you resolve to read your Bible every day? There's a great Bible reading apps out there that help you along. And if you need some advice, I'll happily share what I, I do with you. And it gives you ammunition. So it was scriptural. And third is this. It was persuasive. In other words, it worked. Another way of saying that is he started with the end in mind. He said, I want these people to come to know Christ as their Savior. It says, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. He wasn't just telling them about good, fluffy things. He was sharing the gospel with them, and he wanted them to respond. And it says, and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And he goes on and says, some of them were persuaded. In our life, we are filled with information. We've never had so much information than as we do today. And tomorrow, there'll be even more information in this world. And we have a problem in our society. We have a problem because everyone can question something. If you have a question, you Google it. And if we don't believe something, we just say, uh, you know what, I don't believe that. I'll just Google it until I find an answer I'll, I agree with. Two opposing truths cannot equally be true. Something has to be wrong. Is Jesus really God? If he is, we better listen to him. If Jesus isn't God, he's a crazy lunatic and we need to totally avoid him. But I believe with all my heart that Jesus is God, that he did come to earth. He did die on the cross for our sins. He did rise from the dead. And as a result of that, what did he call us to do? He calls us to accept his free gift of salvation. The Apostle Paul's message was persuasive. And in this result of that, the book of Acts records the reputation that they had. And it's a reputation that I love. And I remember reading this passage in Acts 17 as a teenager not knowing what the future was going to hold. I honestly felt a call to ministry, but it terrified me. Public speaking was the scariest thing you could possibly ask Michael Nelson, the teenager, to do. And I remember reading this passage, and it says this, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And I remember reading as a teenager going, I want to do that. I want to be part of turning the world upside down. And so, therefore, we have a call to Christ that requires a change, and it will turn your world upside down. We see God did the calling. Secondly, Christ did the saving or the changing. And now we see a church established. And this church was established, and we see in verse number 2 of, that, of 1 Thessalonians 1, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. That church became an answer to prayer. It became an encouragement, not just to the Apostle Paul, but to their entire community around them. And then their story became an encouragement to all the other churches that the Apostle Paul visited. Because he says, let me tell you about this church in Thessalonica and how they are absolutely doing amazing for the gospel of Christ. How God is working in their hearts, how this growing them and developing them. They became an answer to prayer. Have you ever considered that you are an answer to prayer? 
This last week, I got a, a really nice message from a lady, and I've known her for a number of years. In fact, she was a, she's a family friend of, of Tammy and, and her side of the family. And I got a really nice little message from her. Her name is Kay DeShields. And Kay DeShields lives in Shreveport, Louisiana. Have any of you ever been to Shreveport, Louisiana? Did you know there's a lady named Kay DeShields in Shreveport, Louisiana that prays for you? She wrote me a really nice note saying, Michael, I just want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas. I want to remind you that I pray for you and your church all the time. You ever thought that you are an answer to prayer? We read those things in the Bible and go, that's nice. You are a recipient of that too. You are an answer to someone's prayer and they're giving thanks to God always for you. We are called out to be a church. These people are real people in a real place. They had real needs, they had real hopes and desires and goals for their lives, and God came along and turned their world upside down by the gospel. And we see in verses 1 and verse 5, it says, Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, and here it is, in God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God's church and it's Jesus' church. And it goes on in verse number 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So in these verses, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all actively involved in the success of this local church. Have you ever considered God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is actively involved in the success of Southwest Baptist Church? The word church in that passage is a word that i'm going to teach you a little bit of greek today okay i'm going to expand your word power this little bit of greek is the word ekklesia and the word ekklesia is a word that literally means a calling out now we use it commonly today as church or assembly but in this first century in the actual definition of the word is a word that says they've been called out People that were going a certain way are now going a different way because they're part of the ecclesia. They've been called out by Jesus Christ to become part of his local church. Verse number four says, And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul. That is some of the Jews. Some of the Jewish people were sitting in the synagogue and they heard the message of the gospel and they believed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They placed their trust upon him as Savior. And then it goes on and says, as did many of the devout Greeks. Now, the devout Greeks would indicate these people were not Jewish, but they had become Jewish in faith. So they were now followers of the Yahweh God, the God of the Old Testament. But now they discovered that he sent his son Jesus and they became Christians as well. And it goes on and says, and I find this interesting, and not a few of the leading women. And I don't know how many not a few is, but it's definitely at least four. And it says, not a few. So they had a revival that took place. And they were called out from the old way of living to now live a new way in Christ. And the foundation of this ecclesia, the foundation of this calling out, isn't the personality of the Apostle Paul. It wasn't, and I'll, I'll talk about our church, you know, it wasn't the music. It wasn't the youth. 
It wasn't the facilities. It wasn't the soft chairs. It was totally Jesus Christ. So we have the foundation is Jesus Christ. It's his idea. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is going to look like and act like Jesus. So therefore, everything that we do, as we talk about connect and grow and serve, we talk about doing this together, all of that filters through how would Jesus want us to connect? What would it look like for Jesus to connect? What would it look like for Jesus to, for us to grow in Jesus and to act like Jesus as we grow? What would it look like for us to look like and act like Jesus as we serve? I guarantee he wouldn't do it begrudgingly. I guarantee he wouldn't get up on a Sunday morning and go, well, sometimes I do. Oh, no, it's Sunday. <laughs> Put your happy face on, Michael. And so how does God want our church to look like as a result? Verse number three says this. This is the prayer of the Apostle Paul. And verse number three says, Remembering before our God and Father. There's three things. Your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. And where does it come from? In our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three things we see there. I'm going to conclude this morning with these three actions that this church was living out. The Apostle Paul says, I pray for you all the time, and I'm remembering and thanking God for how he is growing your faith, your love, and your hope. What is God doing in your life, first of all, that requires faith? It's called there a work of faith. Now, that's not talking about salvation. This is the now what. These people are already saved. This is a work of faith by saying, I'm going to be different in my community. I'm going to stand out different in my workplace. In a few weeks' time, students, when you return to school, you're going to go to school and you're going to be a little bit different. Those of you who are going to uni, you're going to be different. And it's a, it's a work. It's a work of faith that says you can't do this on your own. God's going to have to come alongside you and give you the strength and the ability to, to do that. It's called also a labor of love. Love always has a cost. And love is expensive. And you may consider how you spend your labor of love, how God's working in your heart, in your life, to help you to connect and grow and serve in Christ all the way through. And you begin to filter through the things that you do. And you realize it's expensive. It's going to require time. It's going to require effort. It's going to require finances. It's going to require not doing things that I used to really enjoy doing, but I'm going to now do things that are really valuable. It's a labor of love. Then finally it says steadfastness of hope. That word steadfastness has a number of, of deeper definitions. It, it means endurance. And also with that endurance comes with patience. Now that right there, I'm going to warn you, be careful about praying and saying, God, please help me to be steadfast in hope. It's like praying for patience and praying for endurance, and God will give you opportunity. But I would encourage you, live that out. Look for areas in your life where you need to be enduring, 
We live in a society today where we want everything to be so fast. Last night was a very frustrating evening for myself. Around 8.30, my wife and I sat down to watch a movie online, and so many of you were on the internet. Our internet was so slow, and it kicked us off like five times. We suffered. But you know, it's actually funny. Like We looked at it, oh, this is horrible. We live in a society where we want everything really fast. And when it takes more than one second, or if I was to awkwardly pause, that was like three seconds. And it's awkward, isn't it? Because we want to be constantly entertained or constantly given information. Well, sometimes it's endurance or patience in the hope that we have. Because you might not always feel like God is with you along the way. You may not always feel like you are being directed in the right path when everyone else around you is going a different direction. But let me encourage you, it's a fact, not a feeling all the time, that God will never leave you nor forsake you. It's a fact, not always a feeling that we have to feel, that God is holding us secure in His hand. So this morning as we come together, you are the church that's called Southwest Baptist Church. We meet at Bunbury Baptist College in a community that anywhere outside of this local community is a really weird word called dial-up. And it's always fun when you get people from the eastern states call up and they try to pronounce dial-up. It's even worse, people live in Jalorup. And we are the church in this community. I realize there's other churches around here, but this is our church. What has God called us to do as we seek to connect and grow and serve together? That final question again. I started off with the same question. God is calling. Will you answer? Let me encourage you. Read through the book of 1 Thessalonians. Become familiar with it. Delve into it. Because to be honest with you, on a Sunday morning, we're just scratching the surface. There's so much wonderful truth in here that you can delve into and discover. And I believe God will give you some ammunition to be used in your life. And you'll be more willing to answer the call of God when He calls you.